This morning our reading is from Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 25, which is the core of the account of the crucifixion of Jesus. Tradition of the church over the centuries has been that when the gospel is read, the church stands. This certainly is uh, the gospel. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, God's word, God's grace. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross, save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, aren't you glad you came today so you could sing that song? As Christians, we carry about within us an image of the crucifixion of Jesus. It's just part of our identity. It's part of who we are. Jesus told us that we all have our own cross to carry, and we recognize that by his dying on the cross, our sins are forgiven. So this picture, whatever, however you visualize it, is never too far from your minds and hearts. Also, every Sunday morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is why Sunday is our holy day. This is why we come together as a church, because it was on the first day of the week, on Sunday, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So every week of the year is resurrection week. However, this time of year is special. Because it is the time, the season of the year, where these historical events actually happened. 
I don't know if you're like I am or not, but there's a lot of events in my life I kind of identify with a certain time of the year. When we start getting into fall, I'm ready to go to football games. Uh, you know, th- this time of year reminds me of times my dad and I used to get up after the winter began to ease up and the mornings were a little warmer and we'd get in the car and drive to go fishing. Now, you don't appreciate that. I lived in Monahans, Texas. You had to drive three hours to go fishing somewhere. Uh, but I remember that. But also think of Easter. Uh, I think of this last week of Jesus' life. It's just sort of in that rhythm, isn't it? As the earth begins to awake and the days begin to get warmer, we begin to think once again that this is the time of year that our Lord and Savior died for us and then rose from the dead before us. Now, today we're going to think for a while about the crucifixion. Next week, of course, is Easter, that great day where the church gathers to celebrate and proclaim that Jesus indeed has risen. But today I want to focus on the crucifixion for the next few minutes. And when I say that, that's kind of hard to do because the crucifixion itself is such a large topic. We could talk for hours. I have 15 minutes left to talk about the crucifixion. So we're going to have to focus in and talk about just maybe a few aspects of the crucifixion. So what we're going to do, we're going to limit ourselves to the book of Mark. Each of the Gospels certainly has the crucifixion and the resurrection in it because that's the main part of the Gospel. In fact, the Gospel of John, half of his Gospel, half of the book is about this final week of the life of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark gives more than a third of his Gospel to this final week of Jesus' life here on this earth. So we're going to focus in on Mark, but then we're going to narrow our focus a little bit more And watch a group of people that perhaps you've never watched during this passion scene. We're going to watch the women that are involved in this final week of Jesus' life as reported by the Gospel of Mark. Now, we're going to do this for two reasons, really. One is is so that you women can leave here feeling good about your sisters, You know, those women that lived so far uh, ago, and yet, I want to tell you, they did some good stuff, especially if you compare to what the men did during this time. What happens with the men around Jesus at his crucifixion? Boom, they're gone. But the women, the women have some things to show us. The women have some things to tell us. And secondly, and most importantly, they have some questions to ask us. So we're going to look at the women, their role, what they did, some events in their lives, and then we're going to let those women ask us some questions that are good for all of us to ask ourselves, both men and women. The first woman we want to talk about kind of burst onto the scenes a couple of days before Jesus is crucified. Jesus is eating a meal in the house of Simon the leper. Now that in itself is quite an event. I mean, how many people would go to the house of Simon the leper to eat? So he was having a a meal and Jesus was there, his disciples were there, and as they were eating, suddenly uninvited, And according to Mark's account, unnamed, this woman crashes the party. And she comes in and she's carrying with her 
a beautiful urn or vase shaped globular and it's made out of alabaster which is quite precious and quite expensive and probably already the people knew what was in that alabaster jar because what you put in there was nard not lard Nard, okay? Nard is a name we don't use much anymore, but it was a a precious, fragrant ointment. Primarily, it was used to put on people's hair. If you were very wealthy and you could afford nard, you know, personal hygiene was a little more difficult back then, so you sort of had to mask certain things, and you would put nard or ointment on your hair, and it was a sweet-smelling aroma. Don't know exactly what nard smells like, but I do know that it is in the lavender family. So if we want to kind of imagine the aroma, let's think lavender and kind of amp it up a little bit till it is really fragrant. Nard was very, very expensive. It was imported from India. And you couldn't get online and order a bottle of nard and they put it on UPS and send it to you. It, it was quite an ordeal to get this from India into the land of Palestine. So the rich folks put it on their hair. And then the other use of this precious ointment was to anoint the bodies of the dead. So she comes in and she breaks open this jar and begins pouring this precious ointment over the head of Jesus. The beautiful thing about this story is that it invites you not only to imagine this scene and see it, but also to smell how the whole room would be filled with this marvelous fragrance. Well, the other people in the room didn't quite get the beauty of the moment. They began criticizing the woman. They said, why, this, this ointment cost a whole year's wages for a normal person. You could have sold that and given it to the poor. It says they criticized her or scolded her. If you translate that word literally, they snorted at her. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? They snort at her. You, woman, don't you know you could have given that money to the poor? Jesus has an answer for that. If verse 14, chapter 14, verse 7, he says, leave her alone. Don't bother her. For what she's done is a beautiful thing. You always have the poor with you, and you can help them anytime you wish. But you will not always have me. So what's he saying there? Well, one of two things. You can sort of go either way. One, he's either saying, yeah, you say you would give that to the poor, but I kind of doubt it. You know, sometimes whenever the church spends money on painting a building or putting some trees or something, we always get people say, well, you could have given that money to the poor. And you wonder, well, would you have? <laughs> you know, that's kind of the Jesus answer, isn't it? That that's what we ought to do. And do we always follow through with that? But I think the more likely thing that he is saying here is, you will have ample opportunity to help the poor, and we should. But the door is closing on doing a beautiful thing right now that you're not going to have a chance to do again. And what is that? He goes ahead and says, she has done what she could. 
Same words he said a few chapters before when the woman threw her mites into the offering. Remember? This woman too has given everything that she has. Why? Because she has anointed my body for burial. This woman is the only person that ever anointed the body of Jesus for burial. It didn't get done again. Now, why did she do that? You know, no one else thought to do that. Why is it that it dawned on her that she needed to go anoint Jesus so he could be buried properly? Maybe it's because she was the only one that was really listening to him. For several chapters, you go all the way back to chapter 8. For six chapters in Mark, Jesus has been walking around going, I'm going to die. We're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. And they're going to bury me. And the disciples just never seem to hear it. In fact, if you go and look at every time Jesus says this, the thing that happens immediately after that is they start talking about themselves. Isn't that amazing? Who's the greatest? Hey, can I have this? Can I have that? You know, all this stuff about themselves. Why aren't they listening to him? Could it be that they think they've already heard everything he has to say? That they kind of know what he's talking about? So they just kind of tune him out and they go along because they've got their own ideas about what's happening and what they should do. But this woman heard him and believed him and started getting him ready for what he was saying was about to happen. Question. Am I listening to him? Do I really spend much time listening to Jesus? We can do that in several ways. We can read the words that have been recorded for us that he said. You can do it in your quiet times of prayer as Jesus has promised to come and be with you through his spirit and lead you and guide you. So how much time do we spend actually listening? Or do we think we already know what he said? We already know what he would do. We just know it so we go on and get busy doing other things. If we do that, we may miss out on something new, something that he has to tell us or reveal to us or lead us and guide us. So this woman with her alabaster box looks at us and says, I listened. Are you listening? Second woman is actually a girl. Young maiden, as the Bible calls her, maybe even as young as 10 or 12 years old. She is a servant girl, probably a slave girl, to the high priest. And that night that Jesus was arrested, someone had come and woke her up and said, you got to get up because the high priest is working and he wants something to drink and he wants something to eat and you're the one that has to get it for him. So she pulls herself out of bed, gets together. It's her job. She has to do it. So she goes, and as they're trying Jesus, and the high priest is doing all that the high priest does, she is there providing the things that he needs. Well, in one of her trips in and out, 
She walks by this guy who's standing there by the fire, warming himself. Now, he's the one we normally look at. In this picture here, I chose this, so I hope you can see it. We see Peter over here on the right, and he's the one we normally watch during this scene, isn't he? But I love the way the artist puts the light on the girl. This artist is thinking a lot the same way that I'm thinking. What is her role in all of this? She's walking by, and there's Peter standing there warming himself by the fire, and she stops, and she looks at him, and she says, Weren't you with him? Weren't you with Jesus? Now, wow, that little statement or question just goes boom to me because it says so much. One, it says that probably this girl had been around Jesus some too. She obviously had seen him and seen the people around him. And you start thinking, wow, I wonder if she heard Jesus preach. Or what if she had even seen him do a miracle? But for some reason, she knew that Peter went with him. And she chose her language, or Mark puts it in there in a very special way. It says, you were with him. Because if you're a fan of Mark, you know that little word with. Have y'all picked up on the theme that it's the little words in the Bible that are so important? That little word with is one of his, his focus words for his whole gospel. Because all the way back in chapter 3, when Jesus called his disciples, what did he call them to? He called them to be with him. And for three or four chapters in there, the contrast is there. Those people who are with Jesus and those people who are not with Jesus. And the people that are scratching their heads and can't figure anything out, it's because they're not with Jesus. Who does Jesus explain the parables to? The ones who are with him. What he's saying to them is that you make a commitment first. That is what is foremost. You commit to being with me, I'll help you. If you will stay with me, I'll help you. You will understand. You will receive my peace. You will receive my power. So the girl looks at Peter and says, aren't you with him? And Peter says, no way. Not me. You got the wrong guy. So he moves out a little further (laughs) to get out of her path. He's standing over there. Well, she's walking around again, and she walks by, and she looks, and she goes, I know this is one of his disciples. I just know it is. So she turns to the people that are standing with him and says, this guy was with him. And they take it up, and they start telling Peter. They say, say the little girl says that you were with him, that she's seen you there. Come on, tell us. And, of course, we know Peter's ultimate answer is he cusses, swears, and says, no way, I don't know the man. Okay, question for you before we get to the girl's question. (laughs) Why was this girl pestering Peter? You ever stop to think about that? What's the deal with her? Is she mean? Is she someone that's sort of a secret agent of the high priest and she's out trying to round up other followers or something? What's the deal? I don't know. I can't answer that, but I kind of think it was all very innocent And she was kind of surprised to see Peter there. And all she wants Peter to do is tell the truth. You know, have you ever said something that you know is right and someone else says, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh? And you go, yes, it is. You know, it is too. This is right. This is true. Well, she knows that Peter is one of his. And he won't admit it. She just wants him to tell the truth. 
Question. Am I being truthful to others about my relationship with Jesus? Do I sometimes try to hide the fact that I'm his disciple? Or on the other hand, do I sometimes try to convince people I am when down deep? I'm really not. There's another, I put questions here because I couldn't decide how to put this question up here. This is the other version of it. You decide which one is better. Am I being truthful to myself about my relationship with Jesus? You know, we can lie to ourselves. We can convince ourselves something is so when it's really not. Are we being open and honest about how much commitment we have? Are we telling the truth to others? Are we telling the truth to ourselves? Last little group. Here we have a picture of Jesus, and he's got three women there. Actually, Mark tells us there was a large group of women that were at the crucifixion. They were from Galilee. They were the group that traveled with Jesus. They provided financial support. They did all the work. They cooked the food. They did the dishes. You ladies know how that goes. Well, three are named by Mark. One is Mary Magdalene. One is Mary, the mother of Joseph and uh, James, is it? That's right, I think. Lost my notes. (laughs) And the other is Salome. Can't forget her name. Isn't that a beautiful name? Salome. Well, what are these women doing at the cross? Well, they're doing what everybody else should have been doing, right? They're staying with him. Thick and thin, all the way. Where's Peter? Where's Andrew? Where's Matthew? Where's all this group of he-men pulling their swords out saying, we'll die with you as he's dying? But they have committed to being with Jesus, and they're going to keep their commitment, and they're there all the way through, thick and thin. It goes on to say that even after his death, And they came to take him down off the cross that they stood with him and watched where they took him and buried him, thinking about the days to come and what they could continue to do for him. Question, do I stay with him? Do I stay with him wherever I go? Or am I with him at church? With him here, with him there. But then there's sometimes I go do some things I don't want him with me. I just assume he stayed away from this. Or wherever he may go. Does he want me to go some places that I'm not comfortable with? That don't fit into my lifestyle? Don't really, you know, do the things I want to do? Three questions. Am I listening to him? Am I truthful about my relationship with him? And am I going to stay with him? Aren't you glad the women were there? Aren't you glad the women ask us these questions? And if you're ready with your answers, so are we. Let's stand and sing.